0: Happy New Year, everyone free. I hope you had the opportunity to rest and refresh yourself uh, over the holidays. In fact, my family and I were in Toronto, Canada for about 10 days or so. But I do have a confession to make before I did that. Uh, how many of you are habitual uh, makers of new year's resolution? Only one? <laughs> Only one honest man in the whole church. (laughs) I'm not one of those, but this year I I do have one. I'll tell you what it is. Um, I have no recollection of eating this much food over a period of 10 days. (laughs) So last night we came back from Toronto and I I went to the restroom and the scale, weighing scale is staring at me. And I said, no, I'm not getting on on that. So here's the resolution I'm not going to get on a weighing scale (laughs) until I get back to some normalcy. So that's there. So hold me accountable. All right. May I invite you all to stand? I have three questions, and in a sequential fashion, I'll have you sit down. In year 2015, if you shared your faith with someone, an unbeliever, either by word or by deed. By deed, I mean you prayed for somebody, or you cooked a meal for them, and you know And serve the meal and things of that kind. So in 2005, if you shared the gospel, your faith with word and deed, remain standing and everybody else go ahead and sit down. All right. In 2015, if you had the privilege to lead an unbeliever to Christ, remain standing. And everybody else, please go ahead and sit down. In 2015, by the way, give these people a hand. Those of you who are standing still, If you invited that new believer into a discipleship relationship with you, by that I mean regular contact, meeting, encouraging, sharing the scripture, advising and all of that, remain standing. And everybody else, go ahead and take your seat. All right. Give these group of people a hand. Go ahead and sit down. By the way, I wanted to confess that I sat down with you when the second question was asked. But it also convinced me, it also shows how much we need the eight-part sermon series that we are beginning this morning called Disciple Makers. For over a decade or so, The mission statement of our church has been, you will see on the big screen, make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus. I'm in my 10th year here at Midland Free, so this began even before I arrived here at the church. And the three words, make, mature, and multiply, capture the idea that we evangelize unbelievers. That's the make word then help them mature in Christ and then release them to do the same. That releasing them to do the same is captured in the idea, in the word multiply. In other words, evangelize unbelievers, help them mature in Christ and then release them to repeat this cycle over and over again. And the leaders at that time had envisioned a disciple-making movement that multiplied and became unstoppable here at Midland Free. That was a mission. That was a vision. However, most of us, myself included, have focused on the word disciples and understood it to mean being born again, attending Sunday morning worship services, Perhaps contributing financially to the work of the church, being in God's word and prayer, being part of a Sunday school class or a life group, and serving. While these are all good things for born-again Christ followers, they have not produced a multiplying, unstoppable, disciple-making movement in our church. So our elder board and the pastoral team has spent a good part of the last two years prayerfully asking, why? And during that process, there was an aha moment. That is, there's a misalignment between our understanding, correctly or incorrectly, our understanding of the word disciples, and the idea captured in the three words, make mature And multiply. The words make mature and multiply. Include evangelizing unbelievers. And then releasing them to go and do likewise. Thus enabling the cycle to repeat itself. And multiply and become an unstoppable movement. On the contrary. Our understanding of the word disciple. Did not include evangelism and multiplication. Again the way that we understood it. Correctly or incorrectly. So in order to correct the misalignment, our elder board and the pastoral team have refined the mission statement as follows. Here's a refined mission statement. It is make, mature, and multiply disciple makers of Jesus. On the next slide, you will see them side by side. And I have highlighted simply the differences. In the former, it was make, mature, multiply disciples of Jesus. But in the new one, that has been replaced, the word disciple has been replaced by disciple makers of Jesus. Disciple makers capture, those two words capture the idea these are disciples who make disciples, who in turn make disciples, and in turn make disciples, and therefore it becomes a movement of multiplication of disciple making. Now on paper, you might wonder, in fact, I wonder too, is that all the elder board and the pastoral team did for the past two years? On paper, that's that's what it looks like. You know, I I was remembering, uh, there was a governor in Pennsylvania, I think it's Tom Ridge, you know, who was the first Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary. And, you know, he, after 9-11, you know, the entire nation was looking to him to come up with some grand, big idea of how he's going to secure this nation. You know what he came up with? A color-coded system. Do you remember that? And people kind of laughed at him. Is that all you did? But during the next eight weeks, we are going to convince you, even though on paper this may look insignificant, in application, this is a huge deal. Because going forward, we are going to talk about, I'm going to, I, I should be able to say, I am a disciple maker. I am a disciple who makes disciples. And we are going to ask each other, are you a disciple maker? A disciple who makes other disciples. The elder board and the pastoral team also went ahead and developed what we are calling eight characteristics of disciple makers. And these are as follows. You will see on the big screen. There are eight of them. Obviously, a disciple maker must be a born again believer. And therefore, that's where we are beginning. Trust in Christ alone for salvation. Number two, live by the Holy Spirit. Obey the word of God and you will hear all of these in in the coming weeks and what they actually mean. Engage in a local church. Share the gospel with unbelievers. Demonstrate godly integrity. Fulfill God's mission and multiply disciple makers. And those eight characteristics will form the eight part sermon series starting today. So this morning I want to begin with the eight characteristic, multiply disciple-makers. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Second Timothy, chapter 2. And if you are using the blue Bible supplied by our church, you will find that on page 1,268, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. I'm going to read the first two verses, but the sermon will focus exclusively on verse, uh, 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 on verse 2. Let's go ahead and read the first two verses. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his disciple, Timothy. You, then my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now I have organized a sermon around three statements in verse 2. And here are the three statements. I have broken them down. The first one is what you have heard from me. And I want to ask the question... What exactly did Timothy hear from the Apostle Paul? And the second statement is this. Entrust to faithful men who will be able. Who are these, faith, these people? That's the question that I want. Who are these faithful men who are able? That's the second question that I will address. And the third statement is to teach others also. What are these faithful and able men to do? Those are the three questions that I I will address in this sermon. So let's look at them one by one. The first one is, what you have heard from me? Now, when we read the word hear, or in the past tense, heard, we picture classroom teaching, or somebody like me standing here and preaching the word of God. In these cases, the teachers and preachers are actively doing their thing, either teaching or preaching, and the audience is listening and learning. So when we, hear the, hear the, when we read the word here, that's what we picture. We picture this way because that's what we know and are used to. In other words we impose our current practices on the biblical text. For example, if we grew up in my generation, when you imagine a classroom, you will see a chalk and a blackboard and dust everywhere, right? Then came a next generation. We had these dry erase pens, and a whiteboard. In some sense, it eliminated all of those dust. So if you are in that generation, then you would picture that kind of a classroom. Then came along these overhead projectors with transparency. And if you grew up in that generation, then you would picture that. Now, is there anyone who doesn't know what a transparency or overhead projector is here? Just want to ask. You will never know. But if you are in a much, much younger generation, you will picture your classroom with a computer and a PowerPoint presentation. So depending on which generation you are, you know, you will be picturing all kinds of different classroom experiences. Now, how many of you have been to Africa? Anybody? All right. In some parts of Africa, classroom happened under a tree. Right? So if you are from Africa, you would picture a classroom like a tree and students sitting on the floor and then the teacher standing there and saying, you know, teaching whatever. But is that exactly what Timothy pictured when he heard the Apostle Paul's words? What you have heard from me. Because ultimately what what matters is what exactly did Paul mean when he wrote those words and how exactly Timothy understood when he read those words. Those are the two things that matter. And I want to prove it to you today that Timothy did not visualize a classroom or a worship service like this. It turns out, if you study the life of Timothy and Paul, it turns out during his first missionary trip, Paul and his co-worker Barnabas ministered in a city called Lystra. And you will see that up on the screen. I think the picture should come up. It's the second missionary journey. Let's see if I could point that out. That's Lystra right there. He began in Antioch, went to Tarsus, Derby, and then he has Lystra. That's where Timothy is from. And it is, modern, it is in modern day Turkey. It was here when Paul healed a lame man. The citizens assumed that he was Hermes, the messenger of Zeus, the Roman god, and Barnabas was Zeus himself. And it's believed that Timothy and his family, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, became Christians at this time. They were Jewish people, but they became Christ followers. They accepted the gospel and became Christ followers during his missionary first missionary trip. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 14. About four years later. Paul took his second missionary journey. This time to strengthen the believers in the cities where he had previously proclaimed the gospel, as well as to proclaim the gospel in new cities. So when he was back in Lystra, he saw Timothy again. This time something was different. Because people there, the other believers, were speaking very well of Timothy. How he had grown, lived and grown in his faith over the past four years. So now having heard of the testimony of the others and also personally seen Timothy's faith, his character and his suitability for the work of ministry, Paul took him on the second missionary journey. Could you please put the map up again please? So he picks him up here and look at the journey. Timothy was going on with Paul everywhere. And this missionary journey, by the way, took two years. And during this two-year period, as they were doing, doing this mission trip together, Paul and Timothy did life together. They traveled together, they ate food together, they slept together, they did ministry together. And as a result, Timothy learned from Paul by listening. Sure, Paul preached, so he listened, he saw, he observed, he asked questions, and did ministry himself sometimes. For example, during this two-year period... Paul actually sent Timothy on solo trips at least twice, perhaps even three times, once to Corinth, another time to Thessalonica. Then again, Paul took Timothy on his third missionary journey. And during this trip turns out to be four years long, Paul gave... Timothy, even greater ministry responsibility. For example, he appointed Timothy as the bishop of the church in Ephesus. So when Timothy read Paul's words, what he have heard from me, he did not think of a classroom. With a computer and a powerpoint. Instead he taught about all of these experiences with Paul. From Paul's proclamation of the gospel that led to his conversion in Lystra. In his hometown. To learning to do ministry during the two missionary journeys. To serving as Paul's emissary. To to newly planted churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Ephesus and others. In other words, Timothy thought about all the experiences that he had had doing life together and doing ministry together with Paul. Therefore, this is what I want to propose. The first component of multiplying disciple-makers is actually a commitment to do life and ministry together with those we are discipling. You know, an example, modern day example might be, it's like showing someone to drive a car. A teacher can teach all the rules of the road in a classroom setting. The student can study all that information, take a test and even pass it with a 100% score. But unless the student gets in the car and starts driving on the road... And unless a teacher spends time with the student in the car and on the road showing how to drive, the student will never learn to drive. Do you agree? In fact, I have a question. How many of you have taught others to drive? Okay. How many have taught your children to drive? You may, if you're like me, you may have sat at the passenger seat, but you're still... Pressing the brakes, right? <laughs> and there may have been some stressful, tense moments. Perhaps some difficult words were uh, you know, exchanged. You came home angry with each other. Life and life discipleship is stressful. It can be messy. It can be hard and difficult and challenging. Nevertheless, without it, multiplying disciple makers might only be a dream and not a reality. So that's the first component of multiplying disciple makers. Now on to the second statement. The second statement here I have is entrusted faithful men who will be able. Who are these people? Let me say right off the top This is not limited to men. This is also about women. And in fact, you might see even in some Bibles on the footnote that would say it's men and women. Now having said that and put that out of the way, the Greek word that is translated entrust is actually a banking term. That is a term used to describe bank transactions. That is why in some Bible translations, they use the word deposit instead of entrust. So, for example, what happens in the New Testament times, when when a family went out of town on a journey, a vacation, or whatever that they did, they would leave their valuable possessions, such as gold or silver or any precious stones that they may have had, whatever they may be, with friends or extended family members for safekeeping. This is because the probability of being robbed by bandits on the road was very high. And in those days, they did not have banks with safety deposit boxes. So family and extended family members and friends became their safety deposit boxes, if you will. And when the family returned from their journey, they would collect their valuables back. So that's one kind. Of depositing or entrusting to somebody. Then there was also another kind of depositing or entrusting. This is this time, entrusting of money with investors. Who would invest and make a profit for the investees. And this was the picture behind Jesus' parable of the talents that he told in Matthew chapter 25. Again, the, story, the parable begins this way. A, a man going on a journey. Here it is. Called his servants and entrusted or deposited with them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, another one, according to their ability. And then he went away. There's a journey that he's taking and he deposits or entrusts his money with an investor. And the five talent guy went ahead and invested and traded and got five more The guy who received the two talents invested and got two more, but the one who got one talent dug the ground and then simply put the money there until the master returned. And the story, the way that Jesus told the parable is that the master returns and asks for accounts and he was happy with the first two and not with the third guy. Why I'm spending a little bit of time on this is that now before depositing our valuable things for safekeeping or money for investing, we would make sure that the other person is trustworthy, true, reliable, and dependable, won't we? In fact, the word that's translated as faithful captures all of those. These are not just faithful men. In fact, they are dependable men. They are trustworthy men. They are true men. They are... De- you know, that's, that's the idea that's captured there. Now, this past week, interestingly enough, I got an email that you see on the screen. And it's from T. Lee. Looks like from the, from the uh, email address, this person must be living in the U.K., And he said, I'm an asset management consultant with Standard Chartered Bank, Hong Kong. I wish to open discussion with you on a profitable asset management deal. Please confirm by return email that you are still at this email address, and I shall send you exclusive details of my proposition. T. Lee. Perhaps you received this email too. Would you invest your money with this guy? You and I would never do this, would we? That's the idea that's captured there. Entrusted, deposited with, faithful, meaning they are true and trustworthy, dependable and reliable people. By the way, I wanted to say Mr. Lee, but I couldn't even say that based on the the name. So the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy to deposit the message which is the gospel and the method which is life and life discipleship with those who are trustworthy, reliable, true, faithful, and dependable. It's the only way the movement will go forward and multiply and would become unstoppable. But there's one other word that the Apostle Paul used, that I have highlighted, that word is able. This word refers to a person's capability or competency. That is, in addition to being trustworthy, reliable, true, faithful, and dependable, the people that Timothy recruits must also be capable and competent to accomplish the mission that is called for. That's why Jewish rabbis in the New Testament times, including Jesus and Paul, handpicked their disciples instead of extending open invitations to anyone who wanted to join them. Jesus handpicked his 12 disciples and trained and equipped them through life and life discipleship for three plus years. The result was that when people saw the courage and boldness of these uneducated common men, we read in Acts chapter 4 verse 13, they were astonished but recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what life and life discipleship does to those being trained and equipped. They take on the disciple making traits. Of their leader. Similarly, the Apostle Paul handpicked Timothy. We can read about it in Acts chapter 16. After training and equipping him through life on life discipleship through those two mission trips, one lasted two years and another lasted four years, Paul wrote of Timothy this way. I have no one like him. Many seek their own interests. Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. Philippians chapter 2. These two examples, one from Jesus and the other one from Paul, show the power of choosing the right people and training them through life and life discipleship. So, So far we have covered two things about multiplying disciple makers. Number one, it begins with evangelizing unbelievers. Paul evangelized Timothy. Jesus evangelized his disciples. Second, it involves inviting from among them, Faithful, meaning trustworthy, reliable, true, faithful, and dependable. And able, meaning capable and competent ones, into life-on-life discipleship training. But there's a third component. That is releasing them to go and do likewise. And so repeat the process over and over again. And that idea is captured in the next statement, to teach others also. Notice I have highlighted two words there, teach others. That is, these faithful and able people were not to remain with Timothy forever. Rather, they were to go and do likewise with others. Further, remember what I have said earlier, the word teach does not merely mean classroom activity. Rather, it includes doing life together, which, that is life and life discipleship. In other words, these faithful and able people were to be released to do life and life discipleship with others. That's what it's captured there. Now, with that background, let's go back and read the whole verse. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And here is Paul's instruction to Timothy. And what you, meaning Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In that verse, you will see that the process began with Paul evangelizing Timothy. Now, Paul, of course, evangelized perhaps thousands of people. But from among them, he handpicked some, not all, for life and life discipleship, training and equipping. And Timothy was one of them. We might also recognize other names such as Aquila and Priscilla, Silas, Titus, Epaphras, the gospel writer Luke, Mark, and so on. But they were handpicked. Then Paul released Timothy to minister in Ephesus where he was to evangelize unbelievers. Select from among them a few faithful and able people for life and life discipleship. And then release them to do, go and do likewise with others. You see in this one verse, we see four generations. Paul to Timothy to faithful and able men. To others. This is exactly how Christianity that began with a small group of people in Jerusalem. In the upper room. Spread and reached Gentiles like us. And became a worldwide phenomenon. So our elder board... And pastoral team are praying that such a movement of disciple makers would begin in our congregation. Spread to our communities and region and to the world as we raise and send missionaries from within our congregation. That's the refined mission statement. That's the new vision that we envision a movement of disciple-making that multiplies and becomes unstoppable, spreading everywhere. Now, first things first though. It has been said that a disciple-making movement is first and foremost a prayer movement. And that we cannot have a disciple-making movement Without a prayer movement, So that's where we want to begin. So during these next eight weeks, we are not asking you to go and recruit people, be in a, you know, a disciple making thing and multiplying. We are not asking for any of that. Our ask is this. Now as we came in, you may have seen a booklet. On the seats. So, this is for adults. So, if you are, so one per person. So, if you don't have one, get it from your kid. They have them. Or walk over to a the chair that's not so close to you or something like that and get one. It's for every adult. And if you run out, we will make more next week and make it available. And this is what we are asking you to do. There are eight characteristics. And We are giving the weekend off, so Saturday and Sundays are off. So that leaves five days a week, multiplied by eight characteristics, results in 40 days. And so we are calling this a 40 days of reflection. So if you open it to the first page, you will see on the top, it says multiply disciple makers. And there's a definition for what that means. And then it says day one, and below that you will see January 4th, which is tomorrow, and there's a scripture that is given. It is today's sermon scripture plus a, little, a few more verses. And then what we are asking is actually you, you study that scripture and reflect on that scripture. Write down those things that you are learning. Again, we have given one methodology, but if if you are used to using something else, please, by all means, use whatever method that you are familiar with. So we are not bound to this particular methodology of studying the Scripture. But it's important that we all study the Scripture. And then as you study, write down prayers that come off of that. And then on the right-hand side of the column, you see that we have based the prayer off of Lord's prayer, Jesus' prayer. And so it has five components, God's honor, God's kingdom, God's provision, God's forgiveness, and God's power. And the definitions are on your left-hand side. You will see that. And in addition to providing those definitions, Pastor Jeremy also taught a class on pray like Jesus. So you could also take a look at, look at those. And so what you're asking is Monday through Friday. And if you turn to the next page, you will find the scripture. It's, simple, it's still multiplying disciples, but it's January 5th. There's a different scripture there. Read and study and reflect and then pray. And then day three is the same way. When you get to day five, turn over a page. Day five, you will see on the top, instead of multiply disciple makers, it says trust in Christ alone for salvation. That's sermon number two next week that Pastor Jeremy will be preaching about. And so one of the things that we are doing is on day five, it will focus you to the upcoming sermon and, this, and the sermon text. Okay, so that's the way this is organized. So, what we are asking you to do is to read the scripture, reflect, and pray, and see what God wants to do with your own life regarding this particular mission. Now, if you are with young children, we have another resource put together by the Faith at Home leadership team. And these are called idea cards. And the, every week there will be new idea cards. So this time today we are talking about Multiplied Disciple Makers. So there's a Multiplied Disciple Makers idea card. So th- there's, there's actually an exercise that is, that is suggested that you could use to train your children about multiplication. So pick it up every week. And so today if you walk over there you could pick up this Multiplied Disciple Makers card and the Faith at Home Center is right there. Okay, so that's all we are asking. We are not asking you to do anything else because a prayer precedes a disciple making movement. Now, with that, here's an exercise that I would like us to do. Back in the fall, we asked you to pray for 30 people during 30 days. Again, we, we, that was October, November, and December. Some of you prayed all all three months and some of you prayed for a month. If you prayed at least a month for 30 people for 30 days, would you please stand? Now, if you have been prayed for by somebody else, would you please stand also with them? All right, here's what I would like us to do. Turn to your right, turn to your left, turn to your back, wherever. Would you find people who are sitting down and get their email addresses? What we would like to do is for you to be able to pray for that individual or however many that we choose this week. Because we would like to start the new year having prayed for everyone. Would you do that? I'm going to give you a few minutes. So walk around, find somebody, get their email address, make some new friends. If you have to leave your place of wherever you're sitting, please go ahead and do that too. His or her email address with someone else? (laughs) Who is yet to share his or her email address with someone else? Have you all done that? We would like to begin the new year having prayed for everyone in this congregation. Alright? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we truly want to be part of this movement. Help us. Father, it is only by the power of your Spirit that we can even think of doing something like this. Help us to become a church that prays. Help us to become a church that multiplies disciples. So that your name, your Son's name, Your gospel will go forward by the power of the Holy Spirit from here to our communities, our region, and the world. May that be so. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.